Praise the Lord. Good morning. Now I'm going to have you go on and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. I preached a sermon on Mother's Day. It was called The Honor of Women. Praise the Lord. There were a lot of people that really enjoyed that message. Come on, John. The honor of women. And I told you when I preached that sermon that I'd be preaching a sermon about the honor of men. And um, there's something really interesting about honoring women and honoring men that maybe you don't notice immediately. And I was with a man one time, he was a principal of a school, we were at a ball game, and uh, he found out that I was a minister, and uh, this was years ago, and he said, I want you to do something for for me when Father's Day comes. He said, I want you to notice Mother's Day, and I want you to notice Father's Day, and I want you to notice the difference in how they minister. And he said, when they minister to women... They will talk a lot about honor, and people will be excited about honoring the women for the things that they do, and they will um, be very deliberate about everything being very honorable toward women, which I agree is a wonderful thing. How many agree? But when you get to the men's, when you get to Father's Day and you begin to, what is that noise? What is it? Oh, okay. Okay. But when you get to Father's Day, he said, notice the difference in the tone and how men are honored. I thought, well, he's probably not right. And so I thought, I'll just pay attention to what's being said. So Mother's Day, sure enough, came along and it was a beautiful message about some uh, woman in the Bible who was very noble and, and, and that's why we honor mothers. Father's Day came, and the message's title, and I'm not even kidding, and the church that I was attending, the title was, The Dumbest Man That Ever Lived. And he began to preach a sermon about how dumb this guy was, and don't be him. And so I started looking, and do you know that uh, it says the lowest, one of the lowest attended services of the year, according to uh, polls, of churches, it's Father's Day. One of the highest attended days of the year is Mother's Day. Children know that it's important to a mother and want to come to honor their mother, but not as much with men. They don't feel the need to go and honor their father. And so I want to address that today. The honor of men, you say, well, that's a logical title since you've already preached about the honor of women and already announced that would be the title of your message. But I want to get into this issue of men and why men should be honored. And all the men said, amen, there we go. (laughs) I knew they'd liven up. (laughs) Listen to this one statistic. And this statistic, I'm going to stress in this sermon, I've got a few other ones, but this is the important one. When a mother comes to Christ, praise the Lord, what a wonderful thing, her family will join her at church 17% of the time. 
They will attend church regularly because mom got saved. But when a father comes to Christ, the family will join him 93% of the time. If a woman gives her heart to Christ, 17% of the time the entire family will join with her. 93% of the time, if it's the man, the family will join him. Is that not amazing? That statistic, if it's true, and I encourage everybody, if you doubt that statistic, find more research, as much research as you can, see what those percentages are, because if that's the case, 17 compared to 93%, then we've got ourselves an issue here. There's something about men serving God and leading their family that we need to figure out as a society. Because those percentages, 93 to 17, think about that. Absolutely think about that. A few other statistics, not as critical as that one, is the one I want to stress. But listen to this. Fatherless children, and there's a lot of ways to be a fatherless child, right? They're five times as likely to live in poverty, repeat a grade, or have emotional issues. Five times. It says 85% of the people that are incarcerated had no father figure. Nobody in their life they could call a father figure. Isn't that amazing? Fewer than 10% of U.S. churches uh, even maintain a men's ministry period. 10%. Think of the numbers I just said, less than 10% do any ministry at all to men. Churches overseas report 9 out of every 10 who are in attendance are women. So it's even worse overseas. Typical U.S. congregation draws an adult crowd that is 61% female, 39% male. And that gender gap is continuing to edge upward. So less and less men, more and more women. So why do you think men are being attacked? Don't you think the enemy knows those statistics? Don't you think the enemy knows that when men aren't standing up and living for God, that something here is being affected and we got to figure out what it is that's being effective. Now turn, and I usually open it up with this, but I forgot. 1 Corinthians 11.3 says this. But I want you to understand, the head of every man is Christ. The head of a woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I love you so much, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you are a father to the fatherless, Lord. Lord, that you've taken us and you've raised us, Lord God. You've spoken to our lives. Lord, I ask that you take this message and you bless it, Lord God. You speak to lives, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. So this is a um, this can be a very contentious verse, and I think because it is so con- contentious, we don't actually hear what 
Paul's trying to say in this verse. But I want you to understand that the what? Okay, do we all know what a head is? This is that furry or sometimes not so furry hat rack. Just remember, it's the place where you hold the hat. Okay? Because here's the problem. When we hear that, we don't think of the anatomical part of our body that's called a head. We think about authority and we start building our whole doctrine around, I'm the boss and you're not, or, or you're not my boss. And we start having all these arguments about who the authority is and who's the boss, who's not the boss. And we forget he's talking about a stinking head. And you say, why is that important? Because that word literally means the part of your body that has four of the five senses. It's your eyes, it's your ears, it's your mouth for taste. And your nose for smell. Touch is the only one that's not necessarily on that part of your body, right? So if Paul's talking about the head, there's one thing that they understood here about the head. They understood that the head sends signals to the body. So the head, which is where your brain is, Some of you are right now saying, that's where it's at. I'm just, so much revelations coming out of me today. But do you realize the brain is sending signals to tell the body what to do? And the brain is uh, leading the body around. How many have ever slaughtered a chicken? What an odd thing to say. When you cut the head off of a chicken, okay, I'm talking about the anatomical part of a chicken that is cut off. You cut that off, that body is now directionless. So when a chicken doesn't have its head, it doesn't have much of a brain to begin with. I'll I'll be honest with you, I've raised a lot of chickens. It doesn't have a huge brain. It's not known for its uh, uh, intelligence, okay? But it really is directionless when it doesn't have a head because it's a term we like to call running like a chicken with his head cut off. So that chicken will run in all directions and it'll keep moving and slowly life will just die. And whenever the church or whenever the family doesn't have a head, doesn't have any, it doesn't have any direction. It doesn't have an ability to send out signals to say, this is what we as the body are going to do. And because of the fact that we read that scripture and we don't realize God is trying to instruct the body on how to move and what direction to take and how to keep that course, we have directionless churches, we have directionless homes, we have directionless society. And our prisons are full because we have directionless children. Now, if it's true that all the statistics say that all a dad has to do is go to church and make that an important part of his life, and the family is 93%. She didn't like what I was saying. Oh, she liked it. Yeah, she... 
I said, preach it. It's good. But if it's true that 93%, 93% of families are going to join dad who's adamant about serving the Lord. Remember when Joshua said, as for me and my house, I don't know about you and your families, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And if when that statement is made and that man means it, 93% of the families fall in behind him, that is a natural statistic that nobody in our society can deny that backs that scripture up. Do you understand? We need men to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And you say, well, wait a minute, I don't have kids in a family. Men. God is defining what men do. I'm not talking about a family now. I'm talking about a church. I'm talking about society. You know that a young kid that doesn't have a dad, he's going to find some male influence to pattern his life after. Women will even pattern according to the climate of what you said in the room. They follow men. It's a natural following and leading. We are naturally leading and we can't absolve ourselves of that. Whether you're married or you're not married, we're leading and influencing a society as men. Does it mean that women don't lead? No, it means that women also lead. But there's something in that statistic of 93 and 17 that tells me that we are setting a climate and we're setting a pattern and they're going to follow exactly what we do. How many think that's true? So we've got to figure out, and one of the statements that's really um, makes it hard to figure out what God expects of us as men is the statement, be a man. You say, well, what a great statement, man. But then... When we say it, everybody has a different idea. And God has an idea. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. He's right and we're wrong. He is right because guess what? He's the creator. It says that God formed man out of the ground and made man in his image. And then the Bible is real clear that something happened after that that marred his creation, damaged his creation, made us no longer the men, hear this, the man that he created. And what God wants to do through Jesus Christ is remake man in his image because we've been damaged. And so in order for us to learn to be men... Normally what be a man is, is it says you're not a man. And I'm going to be honest with you, we're not a man anymore. We can only be restored as the man that God created us and wanted us to be in Christ Jesus. In fact, let me go back to the scripture. It says that Jesus had a head. Now, I'm not talking about authority and who's boss and this and that. I'm talking about who was the brains that told Jesus what to do. 
And it's very clear in that scripture that his brains was God. So in order to have the power and the authority that God wanted him to have. Now remember, Jesus isn't less than God. Jesus himself said he was equal with God. They're equal with one another. But he had to do the will of his father to be lined up with him to have the power of God in his life. God was the head of Jesus. Jesus did everything the Father said to be an example to us. So God put his authority through Jesus. And Jesus was lined up with God, which means Jesus couldn't do what he wanted to do. He did what the Father wanted him to do. The will of the Father was his food, he said, to do the will of my Father. Now, it says that man should be lined up with Christ as his head. Which means that everything that I do, if I want to be a man, did you catch that? I'm not a man if I'm not lined up under Christ. Because Christ is the one that allows me to be the man that God created man to be. You understand, man lost his manhood. And a lot of you men say, that's a terrible line. It is. (laughs) It just came to me, I'm sorry. But we lost our ability to be what God called us to be because of sin. And every problem we have in the world, male and female, has to do with sin. God is restoring us to being men by lying us up under Christ. And you say, well, good, man, all the authority is with me now. I can dominate women. I can keep them under my thumb. I can have authority over them. No. Christ said we're to pour into them. We're to raise them up. We're 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 to pour into them and raise them up even as ministers, equal heirs in Christ. We're to pour ourselves out into them like Christ poured himself into us. We're to serve them because Christ served us. The Son of Man didn't come to lord over people. He came to serve. And so God is going to pour it through men, but men are required to be under Christ as the head. And then women are supposed to line up in that same line, God, Christ, men, women. And women are supposed to look at the man and what he's doing, say, man, he's doing that. I want to do exactly what he's doing. I want to line up right underneath him and as much as he's doing, well, what is it that they were doing? What did they model and should model before God? Well, I can give you a few simple suggestions here. One of the the activities that men are doing that I notice with men is sacrifice. And maybe you've never thought about this. A lot of people have heard of the law of Moses, right? And there are all kinds of sacrifices that were being provided for sin and fellowship and and different things in the temple. But did you know that they were offering sacrifices to God all the way back to Adam? Way before the law of Moses. And, And God calls out Adam. 
And Adam is led by God to sacrifice. Right? Calls Adam out. He's calling Adam out because he wants him to lead in the sacrifices. In fact, if you look at the temple and the sacrifice of a family, the woman did just as much to prepare the sacrifice. But the man was called out to be an example of what sacrifice means so the rest of the family will have a sacrificial heart. So he calls Adam out. Then he calls Cain and Abel, the two sons of Adam. And what are they doing? It wasn't Sarah and Jill with Cain and Abel, was it? I don't know if there were any other ones. I just made that up. Calls Cain and Abel, right? We go a little further. The next one we find is Noah. God says, hey, I'm calling you out to offer sacrifices. Wasn't his wife. But he was calling men out to sacrifice. To say, I recognize there is a God and without God, I can't be a man. I can't offer my family, I can't offer the world around me what God wants me to offer unless first I have a seriousness toward God and sacrificing to God. In fact, Paul would even go further in 1 Timothy 2.8 and he would say, I would that all men lift holy hands everywhere. Do you know that the raising of hands is a symbol that goes all the way back to the sacrifices they would offer before God? God was physically trying to show, I want this man who is the head of this household to be a type of individual that sacrifices before God, and I want him to lead his family in preparing these sacrifices to offer before God. You know, it was a family event to offer these sacrifices. And he was trying to give us a pattern of what Paul was trying to teach us I would that all, you say, well, wait a minute, the Methodists don't do that. The Baptists may or may not do that. The Catholics don't necessarily do that. But Paul said in 1 Timothy 2.8, I would that all men lift holy hands in worship. God's called us to teach and be a model of sacrifice. To be able to come up and say, you know what it means for the person who generally is the physically strongest in that family and the one who has a natural ability to lead that family? Do you know what it means to that family to all them see a man with his hands raised worshiping God? You can't imagine the value it is for a man to lead, humble himself, and sacrifice before God and let his whole family see it. And you know, men, let me, let me tell you this about men, the honor of men. For generations and generations and generations, God has called all men to sacrifice. Some of you watched the uh, celebration, the anniversary of D-Day. And I want you to just begin to think, because I don't think we realize what happened. I mean, these men, I know some men that were there, on, on that day and, and, and served during that period of time. And, and they graduated from high school at 18. And right at the moment they graduated, the U.S. military drafted them into service. And you can say to yourself, well, it's not fair. Only the men had to go. But do you know there's something inside of a man 
that knows I was made to sacrifice for other people? You say, well, it's not fair. Why didn't they send the women? Do you ever think about that? And all the, uh, we're all the same, just one has short hair and one has long hair. You ever think why for generations there's something built inside of us that says, I die and they live? And we're losing that. There's something inside of it that says, I die so they can live. I die so they can live. I die so they can live. I wrote a, uh, I uh, have an article here. I want to read the whole thing. It's a long one, but I, it's worth it. I may remember there was a shooting in Aurora, Colorado, at the showing of The Dark Knight. It was a, a movie about Batman and the hero of the comic books. And, and uh, sometimes we'll celebrate a hero on the big screen, but we totally missed on that day all the heroes that were inside the building. Listen to this. Of the 12 people that were killed in Aurora Theater shooting, four of them were men who made the ultimate sacrifice to protect their girlfriends. Each of these women are struggling now to come to terms with both their grief and their gratitude. Alexander Tevis was 24, and he attended the midnight screening of The Dark Knight Rises when his girlfriend Amanda, 24 also, and another friend, when the suspected gunman James, I'm not even say his name, opened fire in a sold-out theater. Tavis immediately lunged on top of his girlfriend from the gunfire. I was really confused at first. I did not know what was going on. I was so confused. But it's like Alex didn't even hesitate for a second because I sat there for a minute not knowing what was going on and he held me down and covered my head and said, be quiet, stay down, it's okay, stay down. So I stayed down and I didn't move. He blocked all of the bullets that would have hit her. He was my angel that night. He was my angel every day that I knew him. I'm broken because of his sacrifice. Lindgren reflected on the uh, profoundly close relationship she had with him saying the couple would not go an hour in the day without missing each other terribly. My other half was ripped apart from me, and so for me, it's still unreal. She said, I can't picture my life without him. How do you? When someone loves you so much, they love you somebody that much, how do you believe that this is even real of all the places? We were in a theater in that specific room, and we were just there to watch a movie. Though Tevis knew he was putting himself in danger for me, I just wish I could have protected him in the same way. Do you see the reaction? She wants to sacrifice herself because he sacrificed himself for her. His dad said, I'm hollow. But Alex has come and brought me from heaven. He's been bringing me hope ever since. He's still my inspiration for life. I know now more than ever because of the kind of man he was. Elsewhere, in Theater 9, this is a different theater, okay? It says, U.S. Navy Petty Officer 3rd Class John Larimer, 26, and his girlfriend Julia were sitting in the middle of the theater when the shooting began. John immediately 
and instinctively. I want you to think about that. They're not even thinking about it. Immediately and instinctively, he covers me and brought me to the ground in order to protect me from any danger. She wrote in a statement. Moments later, John knowingly shielded me from a spray of bullets. It was there, I believe, John was hit with the bullets that would have possibly hit me too. I feel strongly that I was saved by John and his ultimate kindness. Said the couple had known each other since they were 21 and 18 when they met working at a Chili's in Indianapolis, or in Illinois, I'm sorry, where they were both from. Larimer was home for the summer, and she was getting ready to go to college. They became close and stayed in touch. That summer, her father, Fred, came to Colorado to work for an extended period of time. She traveled to Colorado, now listen to this, as part of her summer with her father, and her father told her, He was stationed in Aurora, and he encouraged the young man to go see her. I wanted her to see him because he would have been the kind of kid that a father wants his daughter to be with. Kid had values and things like that. Fred told ABC News, he said his daughter and Larimer became boyfriend and girlfriend Three weeks before the incident, so many kids these days don't really want to hear what parents have to say, but he would stay, he would engage, and he would listen, and he wanted to hear everything I had to say. We were planning on going to church the next day. He was a really good kid. Fred said he had been staying in a place just minutes away from the theater when the shooting took place. His panicked daughter called him as she was running... um, After the scene, and he arrived within minutes of the shooting. She was hysterical and was in shock. Since then, she's told her father that she was at the movie with Larimer and two other Navy men. And after Larimer was shot, the other two Navy members were unbelievable in making sure um, they grabbed her from his dead body and got her out of the theater. He said, I'm grateful my daughter is alive. Hopefully he can get through this. Adding that the family is very traumatized. It says, just weeks earlier. Let's see. And then it says, in addition to these two couples, there were two other couples, Matthew McQuinn, 27, John Blunk, 26, and both of those in different areas jumped on top of their girlfriends to save their lives. Some of them were even shot because the bullets went through their bodies and hit their girlfriends and and they lived because it slowed the bullet down so much. So there is a physical sacrifice that men make. Now you know the guy that was in the theater shooting was the total opposite of what these men were doing. They were trying to protect And you say, well, man, is it only men who are courageous? Is it only men who do heroic things? I know women that would have done the same thing. I know women that if you mess with their child would do the exact same thing. But what I am saying is it's the men that set the tone. When a man will sacrifice himself for his family, when he'll sacrifice his body to work every day for his family, 
when he'll sacrifice everything to protect his family, when he'll sacrifice everything to be there for his family, whatever it takes, it flows down to that entire family. And you begin to have noble families because of that sacrifice that's being modeled by a man. And that's the kind of sacrifice that Jesus says he wanted us to have for our wives because he did that first for the church. He said, in the same way that I love the church and died for the church, I expect you to be that way for your families. And you say, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm absolved of everything here because I don't have a family, I don't have a wife. God's calling us to be men for our church. Every part of our society, we're pouring into our church because we are men. We are men. In fact, one of the, I remember somebody came, I don't remember who it was, came in and he was so blessed at our church because there were so many men that were in the front row and, and up at the altar seeking God and going after God. And I'm telling you, man, it means something when all men everywhere lift holy hands in worship. Praise God. So sacrifice, physical sacrifice, spiritual sacrifice. Another area that I believe that God wants us to model is serving. God wants us to set the tone. God wants us to set the example for what it means to serve. What it means to serve our families and get this church. What it means to serve our church. You know, there's a lot of people these days that uh, have what's called a home church. And I'm not saying that all of them are bad, but sometimes the home church is, I just don't want to be under anybody's authority. I'm just being honest. I've seen it in action. I don't want to be at a church. I don't want to have to attend regularly. I don't want to have to be involved. And I especially, I'll never say it, but I especially don't want to pay a tithe. And church, I don't ever talk about tithes. You know, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not being supported. I, I, I don't, to me, it doesn't matter whether you're putting money in the offering plate or not. That's for you and God to answer. But I've seen a lot of the home churches where, hey, I just don't want to be a part of a church. I don't want to attend. I want to do my own thing on weekends. So I've got what's called a home church. And can I tell you something? You're destroying your kids' lives with your home church because you're setting an example of somebody who does not serve anybody but yourself. You need to be a part of a church and you need to pour into that church and you need to give everything you have for that church because that church is there for the well-being of your family and every family in this community. And God's calling us to be men we're willing to plant in a church and, and, and pour out our lives for the sake of this gospel. And you say, well, I can do that homeless just as easy. Another thing that God is calling us to do, God began planting churches through Paul. Paul first started in the region of Galatia, started planting a church, started moving his way all through Asia, all the way to Greece, all the way through Rome. And he started getting reports back from churches. And Galatia, you know, it had a lot to do with people coming in and trying to put regulations and rules on them and trying to make them 
follow the Jewish feasts and the Jewish customs. And, and Paul came back and very strongly said, it's by faith alone. Don't, don't put this on the, these people. These are Gentiles and you're trying to turn them into Jews. You need to get away from them. Then he began to move forward and, and he came to a place called Thessalonica. And at Thessalonica, you started getting a different vibe with this church. People became idle. They weren't serving. They weren't working. Say, oh no, he's going to go there. Before the curse in the garden ever happened, our job was to work the garden. Our job was to work the garden. And so there's something very valuable about men who work. And you say, are you talking about employment? No, I'm talking about good old-fashioned hard work. It may be yard work. It may be housework. It may be working at a job. But I'm going to tell you something. Men, you are setting an example for the next generation about how to work if you are not a person who works. And God wants us to set a pattern for our kids of people who work. And you say, well, am I the only one that's going to work? No, it should be you work, they watch, your your wife works just as hard as you work, and then your kids realize that the way life works is you work. We work hard and we play hard. We don't just play hard. We don't just play video games all the time. Life is working hard, and then you have a right to play hard. It's not play hard all the time and only work when you have to. Part of being a man, if you're still playing video games all the time and not working hard, you haven't grown up yet. I'm sorry. It's kind of nice to be Peter Pan sometimes. And don't be mad at me. I'm just trying to tell you that men are models for women and children in our entire society. And if we've got a society of people that aren't, that, that aren't out there working and setting an example, then what can we expect from, you know, and, and you say, well, wait a minute, is that the church too? Yeah. A man should be digging in in their church and being a part of a church. You know what we could do as a church? In fact, I get people all the time that say, the church should be doing this and the church should be doing that. You should be giving money for this to people. You should be giving money that for people. That's usually the same people that say, I don't believe it's right to tithe. You ever notice how that happens? I don't, I don't believe in uh, ever donating any money to the church. And, and, and again, this might be like the second or third time I've actually mentioned money in a sermon. I'm, I'm like one that never does. But man, if it's a, it's a thing of... Every man should be excited to have his children see him give something to the church. Whether it's your time, whether it's your energy, whether it's your money, whatever it is. Again, church, I'm just talking about we're modeling this. We're modeling what God wants us to be. So now let me get to this last point, which I think is really important because I don't want... um, I want, as we study these last things, to realize what God is trying to build with men. Because men, when they line up properly with Christ... And here's the problem. We haven't lined up properly with Christ. Christ is our example. He's the one that helps us learn to be men. None of us, uh, all of us have failed. And that's the problem with being a man is we constantly feel like 
man, I'm not measuring up to that. How many have ever felt that way? I've felt that way. You know, I've tried everything I could. Well, here's some of the things that keep us from fulfilling. I'm, I'm going to tell you something right now. Fulfilling your role as a man is the toughest thing you'll ever do in your life. I'm talking about running into danger and giving your life. And these aren't soft things, you know. I'm talking about when there's a war, we're running to the battle while other people are running away. You know, when there's a problem, you know, for instance, let me give you an example. Somebody sees a snake in the middle of this room. What does everybody instinctively do? Look for some of the men to go wrestle the serpent, right? Usually, right? So I'm talking about fulfilling this role. We're we're running into some dangerous situations and we're expected to. If you run the other way, everything in you might say run the other way. It's like, you know, there's a hungry tiger in that other room. Okay, we're expected to run that way, right? If we run the other way, there's something wrong with us, I think. So I'm telling you, everything that a man is asked to do are dangerous situations. You know, somebody's causing a problem. They look around for a man to go in there and do something about it. You know, somebody needs confronted. They look for a man to go do it. It's not easy to be a man, right? But God's going to have to help us do this. We have to be men, though. So the first thing that stops us from being a man, in my opinion, is sin. There's a lot of things about being men that we lost for, from generations and generations and generations of running from God. And so you say, well, how do you know that? Go to a prison. Go in our society. And, and when it breaks down generation after generation, if you grow up and your dad neglected you, or your dad never taught you, or your dad left you all alone, and your dad wasn't there to teach you, that's from generations and generations and generations of turning our back on God, and now you have to live in that. You have to live with what you were given from your dad. You've got to live with, you know, maybe there was never a dad there. And we have to somehow pull ourselves up out of being fatherless. Or pull ourselves up from being abused. Or pull ourselves up from being abandoned. How many know that what I'm saying is true? And so we need somebody that can help rebuild us as a man. And I know that God says he will be a father to the fatherless. Some of us learn to be dads from somebody doing it the wrong way all the time. Some of us learn to be dads because we had to constantly ask God or somebody who's mature in the church, what do I do in this situation? How do I do this? What do I do? What should I do? How should I do it? How many have been there? And God had to father you every step of the way because the position you were put in was not fair. How many would agree with that? position you were put in was not fair. It's been broken. You've been beat up. You've been torn apart. You've been cut down. And what God's saying is, it's okay. I want to teach you how to be a man. I want to teach you how to grow into what I want you to be. And God says, sin has put you in a real bad spot, but I want to help you out of that spot. Number two, pride. Let me know that pride will keep you from being a man. 
You say, well, I know what being a man is. Let me give you some definitions of being a man. All right? Just people that I've known over the years. If you can fight, you're a real man. And so I can remember a time in my life where I fought a lot, trying to prove I was a man. How many know that fighting is not being a man? Now, maybe there's a part of standing up for yourself and your family that is part of being a man. But the corruption is, if I'm tough, I'm a man, right? And here's another one. I had some friends in school, and I'm still appalled to this day. They believed as many women as they could get pregnant in the school made them a man. Literally said that. Two very popular people in my class, and and I can't tell you how angry I was that they said that. But how many know that there are a lot of men think that is what it means to be a man? Am I telling the truth? Everybody's quiet. There's all kinds of things that we say about what it means to be a man. And those are the opposite of what God wants us to be. But pride will never admit we're wrong. We'll never admit that um, the way we're doing it is wrong. We'll never admit, uh, for instance, uh, women with directions. Women will always ask for directions, but a lot of times men will not. Why? Pride. A man will work on a job, he'll do that wrong, that job completely wrong. Every man in the place can tell him it's wrong, but he won't do it any different. Why? Pride. A man will go to church and a lot of times won't raise his hands and worship God and submit himself to the Lord. Why? Pride. So pride will stop you in your tracks because you're too proud to say that I'm ever wrong. And God is trying to tell us, the old man I want to bury and I want to raise you up as a new man. Because the man that you are is corrupted by generations of people that did it the wrong way. And here's a good reason to, to, to lay down that man and let him be buried. Because one thing that will stop you from living for God is your past. Your past will stop you from being the new man that God wants you to be. And you say, but Chad, my past, I have failed over and over and over and over. I failed being a man. I failed providing. I failed taking care of my family. I, I failed in every way. Join the club. See, this is what God said in the garden, that all have sinned, come short of the glory of God. All of us have came short from being perfect. All of us have failed, and men don't want to be a failure. And I'm telling you right now, it's okay to have failed. It's okay that you weren't, you weren't the man that God called you to be. But what God is telling us to do is bury the past. Take that old man and say, you know what? That old man didn't know what he was doing. That old man was messed up. That old man had a lot of problems. That old man wasn't getting the job done. I have failed, and it's okay to say, I have failed. I was failing in every part of my life. And God says, bury that man, rise up in the newness of life, and let me begin to teach you now, and just incline your ear to me. 
Give me your four senses that are in that hat rack and apply those senses to learning how to be a new man. And God allows you to be born again. Isn't that amazing? Culture. Culture will stop you from being able to be a man that God's called you to be. How many know that? The culture will define what it means to be a man in a million different ways, and it may not ever line up with the Bible. So how can I be under God, being the man he wants me to be if I'm listening to the culture? How about this one, apathy? You'll set a negative and destructive course while selfishly being unconcerned about anybody but yourself. Apathy. Say to yourself, nobody's watching me, nobody's being influenced by me, I'm going to do what I want to do, and apathy will set a destructive course. How many know that's true? We can't be apathetic at all. Lack of persistence. The Bible says that the wise man falls down many times, but always gets back up. The foolish man falls down, never gets back up okay to fail. You're serving the Lord. There are times you're going to fail. There's times you're going to not do it right. But a wise man just keeps getting back up and he's persistent and he never gives up because he knows it's important to be a man of God, a man of integrity, a man who's following what God wants him to do. I'm almost done here. Another thing that causes us to stop fulfilling our highest call being a man Support. Men like to isolate themselves. We don't have people around us that are encouraging us to keep going. Encouraging us to keep winning. Encouraging us to keep fighting. Sometimes we don't have brothers around us like David who are strong men in the Lord. And because we don't have that and we isolate ourselves, we end up losing courage. How many know that? And another, another area where we don't get support, I think everybody knows where I'm going, right? Women. Women. It's time that women quit saying, be a man. Because you don't have any idea what it means to be a man. You need to be encouraging your husband in the Lord. You need to be strengthening him, supporting him, and not cutting him down. Because his role is critical, and if we're cutting him down, we're not realizing how critical his role is. And so we need to be supporting him as wives, as women, as mothers, supporting them in what God wants them to do because it's very important. Don't get quiet on me or I'll stay on that that subject. (laughs) praise the Lord and that's all I got stand to your feet praise the Lord let's bow our heads today Heavenly Father Lord I just pray for the men in here Lord God Lord you put it within every man Lord to um, have these attributes we've talked about Lord God Lord, you created us from the ground, Lord God, to be special, to be anointed, to be brave, to be courageous, to never give up.
to be full of your spirit. But Lord, there is no person in the world that is more attacked than men. Lord, the enemy knows that if he can attack men and destroy men in our society, it will unravel, Lord. Lord, I, I pray today, Lord God, that you would help us bless men. In your name I pray, Lord. Men, with your eyes, everybody's eyes closed, every head bowed, I just want to ask you, if you're a man and you say, man, I've never given my heart to the Lord, Chad, just lift that hand up. I want to pray for you today. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up here, but I just want to lead you to the Lord. Anybody here, I've never given my heart to the Lord, but today I want to do it. I want to get serious about living for God. Anybody like that in here today? Anybody? Give me a few seconds here. I've never given my heart to the Lord, Chad. But today, praise the Lord. Okay, if men, if you would do something for me today. I talked about being leaders. I just want to have a moment here. I want to pray over the men. We're just going to have a prayer over the men and we're going to have one worship song up front here. But I want to call all the men up front here and I want everybody to gather around them. Men, all all the men up to the front. Boys, men, everybody. Come up to the front here. All the men. Every man here. Every man, boy. Everybody to the front here. I mean, I think it's important to honor our men. We want our men to stand strong. We want our men to be good, men, men to be good examples. Praise God. Women, now come on behind them here. Everybody come behind these men. Praise the Lord. Everybody that's able to. All right. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We're going to say a prayer over the men, and then we're just going to lead. We're going to worship. Right? We're going to worship for one song. Every man can do that, right? We'll bow our heads or nothing else. Just close your eyes. But let's lead this church into worship, man. All right? Heavenly Father, right now, Lord God. Father, I pray over this church, Lord. Lord, I pray an anointing over these men, Lord God. Father, there have been times in our country where every man who was able, Lord God, went to the front lines, Lord, and risked their life. For this country, Lord God. Father, I pray that that same spirit would be in the men in this church, Lord. Lord, that you would anoint them, Lord God, with strength, courage, Lord God. Father, let them know that they're not just fighting for themselves, Lord God, but they're fighting for every person in this church. Lord, they're fighting for their communities, Lord God. Father, you have a special call for men, Lord. Lord, I just pray that your spirit right now would flow upon them, Lord God. Father, raise them up, Lord, fearless. Oh, Father, the enemy won't even come in an area, Lord God, where there is a man standing for you, Lord God. A man who's serious, who says, as for my house, we will serve the Lord. Father, right now, anoint these men as they lead, Lord God, in their lives and in their worship, Lord God. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this anointing. Pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's worship and then I'll have a word of release here.
Praise the Lord. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, but I just, uh, it's going to sound real funny, but uh, I actually really like video games. So I want to make sure the young people know that. I like them. But we all know there's a limit. You know, we, we got to be a productive part of working around our houses and being a part of society and we just can't spend all of our evenings every evening playing video games there's a lot of world out there to pour into people and and lots of things that we can do with our hands and we don't want to set the example that we're the type of men that rush home every day to play video games all day and all night all right i like video games a lot i I've spent a lot of years in youth ministry playing video games with young people. I love them. I think they're a blessing. They're fun, right? They're enjoyable. But part of being a man is, hey, I can put this aside for a while. I'm going to go out and help my mom. I'm going to help my dad. or I'm going to help my neighbor. I'm going to help my wife. Right? That's all I'm saying. I don't want to be the angry preacher that says he hates video games because I like them. I like them a lot. All right? Praise the Lord. Uh, the only way, let me, let me tell you, leave you one more thing before I close. Those men that were in that movie theater and instinctively jumped on top of their girlfriends and their family, the only way that we can really fulfill that as men, that kind of sacrifice that Jesus had that's willing to die for anybody, is to know where we're going to spend eternity. If I know it's a advantage to die and be with the Lord, if to be in the presence of the Lord is an advantage, and I'm excited about going there, I'm more than happy to risk my life for the people I love and even strangers. And that makes me a noble man because I'm not afraid to die. But if you're holding on to your life, like Jesus said, you're holding on to your life, you're going to be a selfish man. And you'll live that way willing to release your life you'll give it for people and you'll be willing to lose your life in every way to serve your family and your friends and your church right praise the Lord Amen. let's pray Lord I pray that you would uh, make us people that lay down our lives for you first Lord for the people we love Lord Father, it's not an easy call to be a man, Lord God, but I pray that you would make us the men that you want us to be, Lord God. People that love you, Lord God. People that lead and worship, Lord. Other people that are examples for all to follow, Lord God. Noble, Lord God. Brave, courageous, caring, loving. Laying down our lives for us last and them first, Lord God. Father, so they might look at us, Lord, and live their lives the same way, Lord. Bless these men, Lord God. Put your hand upon them. Lord, I pray joy today, Lord God, for them. Bless them in your name, I pray.